Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. I want to teach on something this morning, and the title of it is Bridge Building. Everybody say Bridge Building. Bridge Building. Bridge Building, when you think about it in the practical way, is this is, you know, the image is this guy standing, looking where he wants to go. And when, uh, but what, what the takeaway from it is there's an image of, I have a dream, or let me even throw it like, say it like this, a preferred outcome. Sometimes when you use the word dream, it kind of floats off into ambiguousness where people are like, well, how do I know? Whatever, whatever. Or you have a preferred outcome in in your life where you're like, Lord, in this area, I would like, there's an, you have a preferred outcome or a dream of where you would want it to go. But then equally is we have our reality that we need to deal with. And usually our greatest struggle is that we have a dream on the inside, even a God-inspired dream on the inside, but we live in our reality and we have a hard time navigating from reality to actually seeing that thing come to pass. You know, when talking about a dream is there's two different, primarily two different camps that there's a school of thought when you talk about Christianity. And the first school of camp is this. Well, if it's God's will, it's just going to happen. It'll just happen. And I don't, he just, God is just going to do it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit deeper and a little bit more in a couple of minutes. But um, the second camp is I got to do it all. And if it's to be, it's totally up to me. And so therefore we are carrying it. We are pushing it. We are making it happen and we are doing everything. And and what it is, is what we're going to see is that the truth is somewhere in the middle. And you say, what do you mean by that? You know, there's sometimes in our lives that we, how many of you have seen it where it's just like God blew your mind and it was better than you could have ever imagined and you did, you did minimal to make it happen or not as much, but God is just like blowing you away with how much he's done. How many of you have been there with that? But then there's been other times where you are like, Lord, are you going to show up? I'm not plowing with mules. I'm dragging the mules right now. And that I feel like I'm carrying everything, it's hard, it's difficult, and our flesh is being crucified, and we're struggling to just keep on going. And what it is, is it's in those times that we get a soft heart, we push into the Lord, and we let him refuel us on the inside. And what we're going to see is when we talk about a dream or an aspiration, or a preferred outcome, the truth is in the middle. And this is the age-old million-dollar question with Christians, where they're like, okay, I have this dream, or I have this aspiration, but you know what? It hasn't gone. Do you know that the Bible calls us as Christians co-laborers together with God? Think about that for a moment. A co-labor. That means that I work with him and co-labor with him. In other words, if I have a dream that I 
that I know is inspired by God or I'm not really sure, but I, I love the Lord. I must work with him in order for that dream to come to pass. And if we'll get down today, what I'm gonna talk about, I believe it'll change our life. It'll change the level of peace that we have. It'll change our, the way that we see life. I mean, I want you to think about that. And I'm not just saying that. I think sometimes you might be in the camp right now where you're like, well, I have this dream and if it's gonna happen, God's gonna have to do it. And I'm gonna tell you this, yes it is, but you're gonna co-labor with him to bring it fast. And I wanna, and I wanna just give you an example of this. How many of you would have liked to live on the earth before Adam and Eve messed it up? How many of you know what I'm saying? How many, now, how long do you think you would have lasted not messing it up? We don't know how long they were here, but I just have pretty high level of confidence all of us would have messed it up. It, but do you know that before sin ever, ever came into the world, when God created the world and he created, before he created Eve, he, the Bible says that he ran all of the animals by Adam to see what he would call them. That is co-laboring together. God created and he said, your part is going to be to name the animals. I want you to think about this for a moment. When God put Adam in the garden before sin ever came into the world, God gave Adam a job description. And he said this, you are going to tend and keep the garden. The word tend means to work at it and apply yourself. And the word keep means to guard or protect. So before sin ever came into the world, God basically said to Adam, you know what? I have created everything, but I want you to realize that you're going to co-labor with me to bring about my best. You're going to have to learn that this is a way, no matter what biblical hero you have, and no matter what Bible story you read in the Bible, you will see this principle. The way that God works is he breathes a dream into our heart and sometimes we're not even really sure if it's him. Sometimes we are sure it's him, but as we pursue him, he refines it and we co-labor with him and he unfolds it and brings it to pass. You know, when you think about co-laboring, you know, in 2006, and I'm a minister, but I equally have other skills. And uh, I mean, I love preaching the word, but before I moved to Michigan in California, I built a couple of houses. I just, I like working with my hands. Well, when we came here, we couldn't find a house that we liked. And so I said, well, Jill's dad drew it up and then we built the house. We, we, we built the house. Well, about in 2006 is in our neighborhood, there was this lot that had been available for a long time. And the thought just came to me. And the thought was, um, you should build a house and sell it on that lot right there. And so I thought, and it came a couple of times. And, and so I went to my wife and I said, babe, I think that we should build a house and sell it. And she looked at me and she said, I think you're right. Let me tell you, if your wife agrees with you, it's God. <laughs> How many of you are with me on that? If she is like, and so she's like, I think you're right. And so we did, we, we started, and I have a full-time job here, but then, you know, subcontracting and all the other stuff in between and working to make it happen. And 
worked in an entire summer at it, and we happened to be ministering in another state. And when we came home, there was a, a note in my mailbox, and the house was only framed. It was just framed. There was nothing else, foundation and frame. And the note said that um, I was here visiting my relatives. I'm from another country, and I'm interested in buying your house. How much is it? And I, and I came home, found out they were in England. And I thought, well, what are they going to do for financing and all of that kind of stuff? So I called them and they said, oh, I have cash. Oh, well, that's good. How many of you know what I'm saying? And um, they said, I have cash. And I said, well, this is what I'm going to be asking. They said, I'll buy it. It's just framed. It's not done. It's framed. And, and, you know, I thought to myself, well, I don't want them to back out of it if they, you know, change your mind or this is just a whim. So I said, well, I want, if you want to buy it, then I want you to wire me $25,000 and so that we know that you're serious about it. They said, you'll have it tomorrow. I thought to myself, wow. But what it was is the house didn't just get built. It took work and effort. I mean, Michael was here in the earlier service. How many of you know that when your children are young, they're slaves? How many of you are with me on that? <laughs> he said, Micah said, yeah, we, yeah, we built it. You know what I'm saying? But what it was is that God inspired something and I had to step out and apply myself in order to do it. You know, and I think sometimes in our life is God has given us a gift and we're not stepping out in that gift, or maybe we're doing this, and God is saying, I want to bless your life, but I need you to be willing to step out. And, and I think in our lives, realize this, that when God has a plan, he has set it up that we work with him, which what it does is it develops our faith, it develops our persistence, it develops our courage, it develops our stamina, it increases our pain threshold, we don't like it, but it does. It increases our level of patience, and we could go on and on and on. This is the way that God has set it up. And we must, as humans, resist the limitational thinking. What is limitational thinking? If I hold on to it, it will limit my life. I won't experience what God has. We must resist the limitational thinking that if God has a plan for my life, for my family, for my future, or for any area, realize this, that God is just going to make it happen and I don't have to do anything. That will limit what God has for our life. No, we co-labor with him in order for it to come to pass. And this is on every front in every area of our life. Every area of our life, we co-labor with him. You say, what do you mean by that? You want to have a great marriage? You're going to co-labor with God to have a great marriage. You say, well, it's not great right now. We'll start working with him and co-laboring with him. You say, well, I want to do this or I want to do that. You got to co-labor with him. You have to work with him. You know, right now we're in this crazy election cycle. How many of you have noticed it's a crazy election cycle? How many of you, if you never got an, another email, if you never got another piece of mail and you never watched another commercial, you would be good for the rest of your life? How many of you know what I'm saying? 
you would just be good. But what it is, is that you stop and realize this, that God calls us to co-labor with him. You say, what do you mean by that? Look at history. Look at Israel, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. What you clearly see is that they had many, many kings. Some of them were godly, and they led toward the principles of God. Others were ungodly. But when they were ungodly, and the people didn't co-labor with God to put the right people wherever they needed to be, that the judgment of God would come after that in order to correct the particular behavior. And what it is is some people say, well, are you Democrat or Republican? I am a Christian. And what I what and because Jesus is the Lord of my life in the middle of this political craziness and everything that is going on, it's hard to tell the truth. But what I simply do is look at the political party's platform and say, does it reflect biblical values or does it lead away from biblical values? And then what I do is I don't vote my preference, I vote biblical values. Are you with me? I, I, and it's not, it's just me just, and, and, and I think what it is in America is this. You say, well, who's going to win the election? We're co-laboring with God. That's what we're doing. And if Christians will engage and realize that their voice is his voice, that their vote is his vote. And then what will happen is, is the Bible says in Proverbs that righteousness exalts a nation but wickedness overthrows it. And so since I co-labor with God to see God best for my country with my voice, then what I do is I say, okay, God, what is, Lord, wh who has biblical values? And if you're here, and I realize it's just kind of crazy. Right now, everybody's uncivil. Nobody can have a civil conversation. How many of you have noticed that? And I'm just telling you on both sides. Okay, you just simply look and... We put something together, it's at guest, service, or guest services, and it's just a sheet, and it just lists, I think there's five biblical issues on this is what the Bible says, and then these are the platforms of both parties, because understand their platform is the direction they want to steer the country in. Does, is, this, is this platform toward God or away from God? Is this platform toward God or away from God? And what it will do is it'll cause you to stop and say, okay, God, I'm a Christian before I'm anything else. Are you with me? I'm a co-labor with you. And so when you talk about co-laboring, that's the way God set it up. He set it up that way. Is, you know, when you talk about God's will, it's, it's important that we see and we understand his will on three fronts. The first front when we talk about God's will is it's what I call his preordained will. It's just going to happen. It's sovereign. You say, what do you mean? The second coming of Jesus. You got no, you got no influence in that it's happening. The millennial reign of Christ. You got no influence. You say, going to heaven, Jesus is the only way. There's no other way. Nobody else was qualified to pay for our sins. He's the only one that's sinless. And so I have no influence. That's God's preordained will. But then you have, and this is where we are, his preferred will. This is where his word and promises reveal it to us. But we must co-labor with him because my decisions determine my tomorrow, not just my desires. Sometimes Christians say, well, I really want to do this. No, it's your decisions that determine tomorrow, not just your desires. Let me just give you a great example. 
I said, I just want to live free, and I just love the Lord. But I stepped down up the platform, got a gun, and went up the street and said I needed some extra money and held up the gas station. And while I'm in the middle of holding up the gas station, they arrest me. Okay, my desire is to live in freedom, but my decision put me in jail. How many of you know what I'm saying? And so we have to stop and realize this, that when we talk about, when we talk about this, is that when you talk about God's will is we must co-labor with him because my decisions are going to determine my tomorrow, not just my desire. Then you have his permissive will. God will let me have my way. He will. He will not violate my will. He will let me have my way. And, and it, when you think about this, it's, it maybe it's not his best, but he won't violate my will. He will let me have my will. And this is really broad when you say that. From just out and out rebellion, where I say I'm a Christian, but I don't give a rip. I'm going to do this, and I don't care, God, what you, what you say. Okay, understand that won't end well but God will let you have your way. And then on the and then maybe even varying degrees of it is maybe to, you know, okay God, your permissive will is is you're letting me, but if I allow passivity in my life where I won't stand up and I won't make the decision or I take the path of least resistance in my life. And I know what God's asking me to do or wanting me to co-labor with him, but you know what? I'm passive about it. I'm laid back about it. I'm, you know, we'll see. It was convenient, whatever, whatever. Understand, you'll live in his permissive will, but not in his best for your life. And it's the aligning of our will with his will intentionally and consistently that causes us to live in his perfect will. Where we say, God, I'm going to align. And it can be seen in our life. And it causes us to live in his perfect will. And you, and I think that if you look at our life, and I want to just look at an example of this with something that probably the most famous scripture in the New Testament is John 3.16. Many of us can quote it. But I want to also look at verse 17 and 18 because what we're going to see in that verse is we're going to see God's perfect will, but then we're going to see God's permissive will in it. We're going to see God said, this is my perfect will, but this is now here's my permissive, here's the, the permissive part. Look at what it says in John three sixteen, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Man, that's, how many of you love it that God's in everyone? God is in everyone. He's like, come up to my table. I got it. Everybody can come. Verse 17, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world. The word word judge there in other translations say to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment or condemnation against anyone. Now look at this, who believes in him. That word believe means to trust, rely, and cling to right there. But what I want you to notice is you see God's perfect will. God's perfect will is I sent Jesus. I want you to believe in him. Guess what? You've passed from judgment to life. You're going to heaven. God's got great for you in the future. But now look at verse 18. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged or condemned for not believing in God's one 
and only son. That's God's permissive will. God says, this is my will, but I'll let you choose. This is my will, but I'll let you choose. God breathes a dream in our heart, says, but I'll let you choose. God stirs our spirit, but says, I'll let you choose. We get to choose. Every one of us get to choose. And what I love about it is God has a plan, but it's my will aligning with his will that caused me to live in his perfect plan for my life. And this is what I have found. There are days that I'm just saying, yes, God, I want your will. How many of you are with me on that? And then there's other days that are like, it's hard. And are you sure, Lord, how about a vacation today? And God's like, no, I need you to just, and, and what it is, I think it, that's why we every week give an opportunity for people to accept Christ. Matthew 16, verse 15, they pose a question to Jesus. And they, then they asked him, but who, Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now look at verse 18. But now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will, now look at this statement, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Notice that statement there, what God does. He said, I will build my church. Notice he didn't say create my church. He said, I will build my church. Build is one two by four at a time. Build is one decision at a time. Build is one step at a time. God could have said, I'm going to create my church, but he chose to use the word build. A great church, a great life, a great family, a great business, a great future is not created. It is built one decision at a time. God, I'm co-laboring with you in what I believe you've called me to do. And God said this. He said, if you will build with me, though the gates of hell will come against you, they won't prevail because you've built with me. You will not have a life that will have an absence of problems, but I'll give you the ability to overcome the problems because you have built with me. Are you with me today? Are you with me? And, and what it is, is what is God doing? He's building. He's building. It says in Proverbs 24, verse 3, wise people are builders. They build families, businesses, communities, and through intelligence and insight, their enterprises are established. Jesus gives us a picture of the way that God works in our life. Right now, maybe you have a dream or an aspiration. What God is doing is he's wanting to build with you. He's wanting to co-labor with you. And what I want to do is I want to give you four things that we must embrace to be a bridge builder and a co-labor with God in order to see his perfect will. Number one is this, is am I hungry? Am I hungry? 
You say, well, of course I'm hungry. No, what I'm saying is, is some people might say, well, yeah, I'm hungry for God to do this or for God to bring this about in my life and this is in my heart and this is my dream. But my experience is that whenever we have a dream that has been inspired by God, especially a God-inspired dream, is Satan will see to it that we face a lot of discouragement, we face heartache, and we face setbacks and adversity because what he wants to do is for us to get our heart so filled with doubt, resentments, hurts, and discouragements where God comes in and he's trying to lift us up, but we're just so full of the junk that when he tries to put the right stuff in, there's no room. We're no longer hungry. We're full of the wrong stuff rather than the right stuff. And we're saying, God, why isn't my dream coming to pass? And he's like, it's because you are filled with a whole bunch of garbage. And when I come in and try to inspire you, you give me the yeah, but you give me the, well, this happened. You give me the, well, God, I was discouraged. Well, God, I've had this setback. Well, Lord, it didn't go this way, the way I thought it should go. And God is saying, what I need you to do is to be hungry in your life. I need you to be hungry for what I'm saying in that area of your life. And I want to just give you just a quick analogy of this. This was probably uh, 25 years ago, and a, a friend, and this was in California, and a friend that I had, his name was Doc. And Doc wasn't a doctor, we just called him, he just, that was his nickname, Doc. And Doc sold a, a, a restaurant chain in like New Jersey area and decided to move to San Diego to retire. And he was like 52-ish, right around there. And he decided he was going to retire. Well, he got there and after about six or nine months, he started getting antsy. And Doc is like, I got to open another restaurant. And so Doc opened this really good um, Mexican food. And then they had a kind of a slice of seafood in La Jolla, uh, San Diego, which is a nice area but Doc loved to fish. He was a fisherman. He just loved to fish. And so he had this restaurant, but he would still fish. He had a boat and he'd still fish like a couple, three days a week. And one of the favorite things that Doc loved to fish for was sharks. And so what he would do is he would keep a bucket in his shop where they would put like the blood and all the extra meat and all that kind of stuff, the scraps, they put it in the bucket. And then when Doc would go out and go fishing, he would, they'd get all set up to go shark fishing and he'd take that bucket of stuff and throw it into the water and it would attract all of the sharks up to his boat. And so then they would be hooking up and catching sharks. And, and in case you've never shark fished, realize this, that there's one thing you never do in that that is bring a live shark into your boat. You don't. You say, why? Because if you've ever seen a live shark in your, in, uh, come out of the water, they're all jaws. They're just trying to bite something. They're just, you know, I mean, they're just trying to bite anything and everything. So with shark fishermen, they have this thing, and it's called a bang stick. Everybody say bang stick. A bang stick, and it's a stick about this long. It's got a handle on it, and on one end of it is a 12-gauge shotgun shell that goes into it. And what, it, what they would do is they would get the shark up next to the boat and they would hit it in the head really hard and it would cause that shotgun shell to go off and the shark would meet Jesus. How many of you know what I'm saying? It, the shark would, and then they would bring the shark in the boat and they would eat, you know, that whole thing. Well, Doc had this bang stick and they got a shark up. His buddy had the shark and they got up next to the boat and Doc wasn't in the best of shape. Let's just say that Doc's midsection was a lot bigger than any other part of his body. How many of you know what I'm saying? And so 
Doc, they get this shark right up next to the boat and you got to hit it really hard. So Doc's got the rail and he goes to hit it and he misses the shark, goes over the rail and into the water where the sharks are frenzying. <laughs> Doc, you want me to finish the story? So, so Doc's buddy grabs him by the belt and even though Doc was mid-50s, out of shape, hadn't worked out. He had learned how to walk on water and claw up the side of the boat and get in the boat. He plopped down on the deck, said, I almost had a heart attack, and then I had to go to the bathroom. How many of you know what I'm saying? To take care of it. But what it was is he was hungry to get out of where he was. And what we have got to realize in our life is that when God breathes something on the inside, if we're full of where we don't want to be, we're not gonna get out of that place. We must come to the spot where we say, Lord, I'm coming after you. I believe what you say, and I'm chasing you with all of my heart. Are you with me today? And my, ex my experience is, is that sometimes with some people, they're like, Lord, I want you to, but we're full of what we don't like. Proverbs 27, 7 says, a person who refuses honey, pardon me, the person who is full refuses honey, but every bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. See, when I'm hungry, I'm like, okay, Lord, you want me to do that? I'm going to do that. Okay, God, you want, I'm going to do that. I'm going to come after you in that area. And I'm working with you. Number two is this, is true faith always has co-laboring actions. If you say, I believe in this thing that God's got, I can, you can see it in the actions. You can see it. It has co-laboring actions. When we really believe something, you can just see it. God spoke to Joshua, and he said, Joshua, they're coming out of the land of Egypt and into the promised land, and God said, I want you to meditate on my word and do what I've asked you to do. I need you to I realize this. James chapter 1, verse 22 through verse 25 says this. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that is in the essence of self-deception. So always let the word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of their face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of his word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. Verse 25, those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty, liberty's freedom, are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. James 2, 17 through 20. So then faith that doesn't involve action is phony. But someone might object and say, one person has faith and another person has works. Go ahead then and prove to me that you have faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works as proof that I believe. You can believe all you want that there is one true God. That's wonderful. But even the demons know this 
and tremble with fear before him, yet they're unchanged and remain demons. Oh, feeble sons of Adam, do you need further evidence that faith divorced from good works is phony? Proverbs 14, 23 says, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. God wants us to, number three is this, do I have a godly friend that I'll let tell me the truth and truly listen with an open heart. See, why is that so important? Because realize this, God's gonna do something in your life. He's gonna take you beyond what you ever thought. He's gonna bless you. He's gonna start moving. If you stop and say, okay, God, I'm gonna put you first. My will is gonna be aligned with your will. He is gonna do things that are beyond what you could ever do on your own. And now the greatest danger as he begins to move is we get a big head or a messed up heart. And when we get friends in our life, that'll tell us, you're getting funky. Hey, what's going on? And we'll listen to it. What it does is it keeps us safe in our life. And the last one, number four is this, is I must cultivate an intentional spiritual hunger. I must cultivate. You say, well, you said the first point was, am I hungry? Well, that was in regard to the area that you need God to move. To cultivate an intentional spiritual hunger is independent of the needs in your life. In other words, you are chasing God not because he's a sugar daddy, but because you love him and you need him. See, in our life sometimes, what we've got to realize is that God created you. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, every one of us. In my relationship with God, and consistent spiritual disciplines are what cause me to be strong, to live fulfilled and satisfied and whole in my life. Whatever your dream is, it won't satisfy you. Only God can satisfy you. You say, well, this is gonna do it. No, it. God is the only one that can make you whole. He's the only one that can cause life to have a spark. If you're sitting here right now and you say, well, if I could just get married, I would be happy. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm saying? If I could just have kids, I would be happy. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm saying? If I could just have this business, if I could just do this, if I could just do this. No, no, God inspired that. But as you have consistent, disciplined walk with him, he causes you to be satisfied, whole, and full, and you bring that to whatever the dream is in your life. But if you think that you're, that you're gonna be satisfied and whole, understand God is the only one. It's by design. Jesus said in John 6, 27, Jesus said to his followers, why do you labor and put all your energy into something that will never satisfy you long-term. It'll never satisfy you long-term. And what it is, is maybe you're here right now and you say, I struggle right now with consistency in my prayer time and in my reading time. We put something together as a church and it's three days of Bible reading per week. You say, why do you do three? Because if you're struggling right now, if we give you seven, you'll beat yourself up because you're not in the rhythm of that. But three, you're like, well, I, can, I missed a day, but I'm still on track. Understand, if you can nail down three days in a week, 
in a month, you'll be way farther than you are right now. And so if you would just go to the, if you go to the church website, there's a tab on there for grow and it'll give it to you. It'll give you, okay, this is a, this is a Bible reading devotional where I'll just commit myself and what it'll do is it will cause me to grow. It will cause me. Right now, I believe that God in all of our lives is breathing on an area, a dream, something that he's put on the inside of us. And what he's saying is I need you to get hold of co-laboring with me to bring that to pass. You gotta get hold. I'm gonna work with you on this. I will do what you can't do but I will never do what I've asked you to do and you gotta co-labor with me. Stand to your feet if you would.